Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Great to be back with you. I've been traveling, visiting family, my sister and her kids in the state of Washington. And I'm back with you in lots to discuss today. Coming up... Parents have turned to the Supreme Court to intervene after their child was removed from their home. Why? Well, they wouldn't call their son a girl. And so the state took the kid away. Here in the United States, it's hit our soil here in the United States. And people think this doesn't happen. It is. It has been happening. I'll share with you a little bit of what's going on and why we need to keep an eye on this case. And be a little more candid with the conversations of what's happening in our own home surrounding kids and gender. Because parents are fighting a mean battle and we need resources both sound scientific data telling the truth about gender, but also how to protect and keep our kids safe when they do struggle. You're listening to Trending with Timurai here on Relevant Radio. More on that in a bit. Joining me today is Jim O'Day, the Executive Director of Integrity Restored, helping people who are struggling with looking at pornography or taking sexuality outside of the context as it was created for marriage. And today is a topic that I think we all need help with because as pornography is on the rise, we need to be open and candid, especially within the context of our marriages, about pornography. Now, we tend to think that pornography is just something that men struggle with. It's not true. I'm actually going to share with you a little story and a little bit from a woman who wrote in to me. She's a wife and mother of three children, and she shared her story about a pornography addiction that if you are not aware of what it looks like for a woman, you need to listen. But joining me now is Jim. And Jim... I'm so glad you're back with me today because this is a topic that I don't think we know how to breach, and that is how do you talk to your spouse about pornography? In other words, doing a check-in to see, hey, is this something you're struggling with? Are there areas in your life that maybe need to be adjusted because you're being exposed or tempted? Or maybe you're looking at pornography frequently, and this is impacting our relationship. Is this a conversation that you believe needs to have and frequently within a marriage or even a dating relationship? And if so, how does it need to happen? <laughs> great question, Timory. It's great to be with you again. Welcome back. And, you know, this question, it, it raises a bigger question in the relationship on communication to begin with. But we'll get to that in a moment. The first thing I want to tell wives or girlfriends uh, in these circumstances, because we're going to talk about the husband or the boyfriend's pornography addiction to start. Um, the wife or the girlfriend, the role she plays in that circumstance is so, so different, we hope, than the role that a parent can play, uh, a friend, a, a confessor, a priest, a, a clinician. 
The wife's role in that situation is very different because she's the only one who's been hurt by it. And so her reaction in that communication can either be healthy or it can really create a lot more problems. So we have to remember, first of all, who was wounded by this addiction. And, you know, in most cases, it's the wife. There are cases, like you mentioned, that where women are struggling and and the husband is the betrayed spouse in that case, um, but it's far more rare. So that's the first thing we have to remember. The second thing, and very, very importantly, this comes up all the time in my work here at Integrity Restored, is the wife becomes the cop. Mm. That is not good. And that's not what we're talking about here. When we're discussing checking in with your spouse, if pornography could be a struggle. So how do you make sure that a wife isn't sitting here trying to police her spouse's digital happenings? It's so, so very, very difficult, Timory, because of the wound, right? So the first thing I would say is that as a couple, they both have to be getting their healing help separately first. And so if anybody's listening and you're going through that right now and you just have that feeling, you want to know more, you have to know more, I need to know more, not right now. Take a breath get some therapy, get a support group, join an online group, whatever you can do. Check out Bloom for Catholic Women. Um, you need to, to take a breath and slow down. Then when you are in a safer place, because that is the, the key issue here, is is that spouse in a safe place to start having this discussion? Then the discussion can be Pretty basic, and I would keep it pretty basic, honestly. How are you doing, honey? He knows exactly what you're talking about. And if he's deflecting and talking about everything else, you can obviously uh, be more direct and say, well, how's it going with recovery? But here's the thing. You need to be getting the help you need to recover as well. I can't stress that enough. And just constantly checking in with your husband is not going to be helpful. You have got to get the help you need. And he has got to get the help he needs. And once both parties are doing that and have some success in that healing journey, then you're able to start having conversations. The hardest part of the marriage is going to be how do we have those intimate, difficult conversations without it turning into an argument. And that's where um, a professional, a counselor, a therapist, a coach can really help give you some tips and tools. But it's going to be difficult because you're hurt. So you have to realize that. I tell husbands all the time when I'm working with couples, Timory, that you both need to pray for supernatural patience with each other. Because this is going to be a very, very difficult journey. Now, the beauty of it is 
when you come out on the other side, your relationship's even better. Better than you probably could have ever imagined. Because trust has has been established again. Intimacy has been established again on all the levels, not just sexual intimacy. And so then the communication becomes much easier. A question I have, Jim, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Jim O'Day, the Executive Director of Integrity Restored, here with me on Trending. And we're diving into how to do regular check-ins with your spouse about pornography. Now, what if, to your knowledge, your spouse doesn't look at pornography, but you know it's something that's prominent, that's happening in the culture, and I'm of the opinion that it's good to just check in from time to time. And it's a bit of an awkward topic. And hey, honey, how are things going? Looking at pornography lately? It's (laughs) kind of funny when you think about it. Like, how do you bring this up? And I'm one who I'm a big fan of, like, being on top of the research and latest data. There's a lot coming out nearly daily about the impact of pornography on the brain. And I think there's ability to open up these conversations and allow that to be an open and candid conversation, but also asking those questions like, hey, has this ever been a struggle for you? Are there areas like, is it social media um, that maybe need to have a little more attention of like maybe putting up some protections? How would you recommend having conversations just on a normal basis that's a little bit of a check-in on like, hey, is this an issue for you? And not just for the husband, but also for the wife with a growing number of women who are struggling with pornography addictions today as well. Amen to that, Timory. Absolutely. For couples today, this needs to be a mutual check-in conversation. And I think it can be something as simple as uh, you said one of the most important things. I hope everybody caught it. Educate yourself. This is not your father's porn. This is not your grandfather's porn. This is a highly addictive online, high-speed, violent um, pornography that we're facing today. So the addictive nature of it has increased exponentially. And so in a relationship, you should be having that conversation. And it should be normal. Just like saying, hey, you know, how's your back feeling? I know your back was hurt a couple weeks ago. How are you doing? Well, how's it going with porn? Because I know that many, many people are struggling with it. Is that something you've ever struggled with? Or I guarantee you, we always say the same thing, Timory. If you yourself are not affected, you absolutely know and love someone who is. So that spouse, whether it's the husband or the wife, somewhere along the line, Someone they know and care about has struggled with this. So it should become a natural part of your relationship health check-in. Just like I always recommend to couples and they say, well, what does this have to do with porn? And I said, everything, because it's about trust. Just like as a couple, we should be doing regular financial check-ins with each other. What's going on financially? Because in many marriages, one or the other spouse is in control of all that. And um, we're not always truthful or honest about where we are. So those type of check-ins should just become kind of a normal part of your routine with each Mm -hmm. other. And it doesn't have to be awkward. Let's face it. This is a reality. 
We're sexual beings. There's going to be curiosity. If you've never struggled before and now you find yourself looking, reach out to your spouse and say, hey, this is, I think, becoming an issue. What are we going to do? Get the help you need. I was talking to a friend not too long ago, and he was asking, you know, what have you been covering on the show lately? And it was one of the days I think you and I were talking about pornography addiction. And I can't remember exactly what the topic was, but I shared with my friend when he asked. We were at a party, and he ends up just coming clean saying, yeah, a couple years ago, I ended up having to tell my wife that I was looking at pornography. And it nearly wrecked my marriage. And yep. It wasn't until I told a friend that I started to see progress in overcoming my pornography addiction. And again, it's close to home. Like we have friends, we have family members who are struggling with this. And it was interesting having the conversation because he just said, it's so nice to be able to talk to someone about it who doesn't sit here and look at me as like this horrific human being for what I've done. And he goes, not saying that what I've done is wrong, but it's a conversation that sometimes, especially spouses, as you mentioned at the get go, like sometimes the wife, that's the hardest person to be able to talk because she's the one who has been wounded by its wound. And so when you mentioned those resources, such as bloom for Catholic women, it's such an important resource because women need to have the ability to heal and work on this, but men and women, but men especially need to have the room to be candid and open about this horrific mistake they've made. And if it's gotten to the point of addiction, it's an addiction that they need intervention in order to overcome. Oh, absolutely correct. And that's where that, that transparency, that um, just incredible honesty can be so difficult because, well, I know as a husband, I never want to hurt my wife. And if I ever, and I have, told her things that have hurt her and I see the hurt in her face, wow, it breaks me. That just crushes me. But but here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, we need to be that honest if we're truly going to heal. And if it's gotten to the point of an addiction, your husband or your wife needs help. Just like if they were in a car accident, we would rush them to the ER or if they were an alcoholic, we would get them help, or a drug addict. Same thing here. You need emergency help right now. Mm-hmm. And here's the hard part, Timory. If your spouse doesn't want that emergency help, then you have to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy to do. And those conversations can be really difficult. So make sure... You're checking in with each other regularly. How you're doing um, in your chastity life, in your in your intimate. What did Father Hoffa call him? We just did a podcast. Um, the conjugal commandments. <laughs> what what we should be doing in marriage, and and how we need to be communicating with each other because the risk is so great. You know, this addiction takes root in isolation and in the dark and in secret. So if we're having those conversations, it's a lot harder for that addiction to take root. 
And I think that this is where, like, we have a responsibility to have these uncomfortable conversations that really aren't that uncomfortable if we're looking at the latest science, the latest data. Um, you look at celebrities who are coming out sharing about their own struggles with pornography. I think of people such as Orlando Bloom, who has come out over the years. Terry Crews, whose own wife kicked him out of the house when it came to light. And it took her kicking him out of the house for him to hit rock bottom Fix get marriage, help. get help, yep. go to therapy. And there are people such as him, a comedian on the spotlight, who are sharing, here's the truth of the impact of pornography. But if we're not having normative conversations, it makes it difficult. Like I have with my friends, like I'm that awkward person that brings up pornography and the latest data. And this is what we're talking about on the show. And it doesn't have to be, hey, are you looking at pornography? But it starts to open up a door to show the reality of it, the addictive dimension of it, and that there are resources such as you, Jim, with Integrity Restored that people need. And I can't tell you how frequently I hear from people who said, you know, I remember you talking about pornography, never thought it would hit my house. Thank God (laughs) that resources such Integrity Restored has been mentioned because we are needing these resources now to help heal our family, our marriage, whatever is going on in relation to pornography. Well, and here's here's the thing. If you're married and you have kids, you better be getting ready to have this conversation. And you better be having this conversation early and often. This is not a one and done, okay, uh, little Joey, go go talk to dad. He wants to tell you about the birds and the bees. <laughs> the, those days are gone. We need to be talking about this without shame, without guilt, without our own broken sexual narrative to our children from a very young age because they are going to be exposed. Yeah. And so and the best you... way to learn how to do that mm-hmm. is start talking to your spouse the same way. Yeah. And there are great you... resources for talking to kids too that can be a means for talking to your spouse as well. And I know that you guys have some of them for the babies, for teenagers, for little kids. Can you mention just a couple of those resources that might even help open the door to the conversation with your spouse by talking about it with regard to the kids? Sure. Uh, Wonderfully Made Babies is one of the resources. Uh, If you go to integrityrestored.com and visit our shop site, you'll see Wonderfully Made Babies up there. And that that is a book for younger children um, talking about how God made our bodies different and and why, and how it's so miraculous. But it also dives into how we have to protect that and where pornographic images, if somebody sees something that should be covered by a bathing suit, for example, how you should respond by telling your mom and dad. Uh, Another resource we have, which is a great resource, is for teenagers or little older kids, and that is called Plunging Pornography, a Catholic bathroom book for teens. It's done in uh, cartoon style, um, and it really explains the science behind what's going on in your brain, the relational impacts of pornography, and then the addictive nature of pornography in a language that teenagers really understand. It's very funny, and so the the way that book is used is that the parents would read it first and then put it in the kid's bedroom or the kid's bathroom. We know they spend a lot of time in the bathroom. And hopefully one day you hear them giggling. That means they picked up the book. And But even if they don't, it helps you start a conversation. And there's questions in there. Have you ever seen it? Have your 
friends ever seen it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Right. And that's mm-hmm. the same kind of generic approach that we can take with our spouse. So here's a question I have for you. If you are not married, you're in a dating relationship, maybe you're engaged, how would you recommend to bridge this topic? Because I am of the opinion that if you are dating someone, you find out they have a pornography addiction. I know you and I have talked about this before on the show. Marriage needs to pause until that's taken care of. But how would you even approach addressing to make sure that isn't a problem? So um, is it inappropriate to say have a good bottle of wine with you? (laughs) (laughs) All kidding aside, Um, just be honest. Say, hey, look, honey, I know the data on this. I've been to Integrity Restored. I've listened to Timory. This has exploded in our world. And, And I'm not judging you if you've struggled with this, but I need to know. And... It's going to be important because when the average age of exposure in the United States today is eight or nine years old, Timory, we are raising a generation of people who, by marital age, have been looking at pornography for over a decade. Mm. Well over a decade. In many cases. And so we need to be able to, to look at each other, sit across from each other and say, hey, is this a struggle for you? Because if it is, let's get to work. And I think you just have to be that blunt. You have to be that direct. It's a normal conversation. It's a normal part of life today, unfortunately. Yeah. And otherwise, I am hearing, you hear from them all the time, spouses, they're blindsided. They had no idea. They get married within days, weeks of being married. They find out about their spouse's pornography addiction, and the wound is so severe. And praise God, I hear incredible stories of people who are overcoming pornography addictions after getting married and having no ideas. But we want to have those conversations before if you're not married. So some great resources. If you've experienced betrayal trauma from a spouse, ladies, there's a resource called bloomforcatholicwomen.com. That's bloomforcatholicwomen.com. Jim, you can find at integrityrestore.com, showing the latest science and data, along with a sound Catholic and therapeutic approach to addressing pornography. And then I'll just throw out there, great filtration software is key to the issue of pornography. Canopy app uses AI to cut out all of the content that needs to be filtered that's leading to the struggle with pornography today. So check out canopy.us. I'm posting a link to all these resources on social media. If you struggle with pornography, you're not alone. I hope you will use these resources, integrityrestored.org. Coming up, I'll share with you a story of a woman who was liberated from having looked at pornography. She's a wife and mother of three little children. And you may think that pornography is just something that men struggle with, but it's not the case. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back. Joining me today on Trending is Jim O'Day, the Executive Director of Integrity Restored. If you've never done a check-in with your spouse about how pornography may be impacting them, the relationship, 
please go and listen to the podcast as we just dove into a great conversation on how to make that happen. It's so important with the rise of pornography today and the harmful impact it can have on spouses and family. So be sure to check out the resources. But I want to share with you I thought an incredible story. A woman wrote in to me a couple weeks ago. She's a wife and mother of three young children. She said, thank you for never shying away from the hard subjects. She said, there was a season of my life where I honestly believed I'd be enslaved with a porn addiction forever. She said, thanks be to God, I've been delivered from that for some time. For me, discovering porn started in the fourth grade. I'd found it on my father's computer history. Fast forward to college, there would be weekends I'd lock myself into my dorm room and binge on porn, only coming out to go to the bathroom and maybe eat. It got so consuming that at one point I was literally watching pornographic videos on my phone, on mute, at my grandmother's kitchen table as she served me breakfast. The itch to open my browser and immerse myself was so strong. She said it took a lot of work and a lot of honesty with family and friends to get back her life. She said, first, I had to admit that I had a problem and tell my friends and family. She said, in doing so, it was incredibly freeing because when you expose sin to the light, it's harder to hide it. She said, second, I got an accountability partner, someone who I trusted and knew would keep regular tabs on how I was doing, as well as being able to view all of my phone history. She said, the rest of it was the Lord slowly working. I was free from this sin for a year. Then I found myself unexpectedly slipping back for a little bit. Never letting your guard down is key. She said, Satan wants to keep you broken and use avenues to do so that have been successful in the past. So now years later, it's crazy to think that this is even my story. Praise be to God. I'm so far removed from that pornography addiction. Jim O'Day, the executive director of Integrity Restored, is here with me now. Jim, this was such an incredible testimony to hear. Here's a wife, mom of three young children, in the thick of married life and raising kids and candidly sharing her pornography addiction and how detrimental it was, but also the good news that she was able to come out of it. Jim, we don't hear a lot from women who are struggling with pornography in terms of public media. You tend to just assume that it's men. But I find more and more often than not, women are sharing their testimony very privately and quietly. Can you maybe just comment on this woman's story and your thoughts and how common is it for women to look at pornography? Well, first of all, I applaud her for her bravery. God bless her for sharing that because she has sisters out there all over the world who need to hear that they are not alone. One of the most detrimental things we do is we subscribe to the myth that this is a guy's problem. Mm -hmm. This is not a guy's problem. This is a people problem. This is a human problem. God made us as sexual beings and our curiosity uh, is there whether we are a man or a woman. And increasingly today, um, for many, many different reasons, I think, Timory, we're seeing pornography usage and addiction rise uh, exponentially with females. Um, there was a recent survey, I want to say maybe it was a year, might be a little older than that, uh, where now up to 40% of women have seen pornography in the last month. Wow. 
it's becoming very common. So our our wives, our sisters, our our daughters, our cousins, our aunts, it's affecting them as well. And the problem is when a woman uh, suffers from pornography addiction, the stigma is even greater. There's a huge shame and guilt component for a man. Well, multiply that by 10 for a woman because she thinks she's heard incorrectly that this is supposed to be a guy's problem. Mm -hmm. So God bless this woman for coming out and, and writing to you and sharing her story because other women need to hear that. You are not alone. This is a human condition problem, and you can be healed. Uh, miraculous healing to me in this woman's case in that she didn't go through any counseling at all, mm -hmm. and she's still broken free. Uh, as you know, here at Integrity Restored, we have the three pillars. We look at the science and utilize therapy and counseling, and then an increase in the spiritual life, frequent reception of the sacraments and spiritual direction, and then the third piece is that accountability and relationships. So she got two out of three of them and was able to recover. Praise God for her. That's amazing. Amen. You know, a question came in earlier. Should your spouse be your accountability partner if you're struggling Never. with pornography addiction? Okay, why? Why not? Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off like that. Um, I feel personally very strongly that your spouse should never be your accountability partner because they're not your cop, they're your spouse. That needs to be, in my opinion, if it's the husband struggling, a man. A man who understands that struggle and hopefully is on the other side of it makes the best accountability partner. And it would be the same thing if it was the wife struggling. Uh, a female accountability partner who understands the struggle. You see, when we're in that relationship, as we talked about before, we're each going to need to do some recovery work independently before we can come together and do the recovery work for the marriage, for the union. And so if you're that spouse's accountability partner during that process, you never get that disconnection you need to heal. Yeah, no, that makes sense, that removal. And two, pornography is such an get your hands so dirty when you're looking at pornography and to have to work through some of that. Not that you need to share more detail than is necessary, but just to scandalize yourself all the more with it, especially for women to hear it is so difficult. Um, to yeah, I don't think it's healthy at all. I, yeah. I, yeah. I think the check-ins are a great idea, like we talked about in the earlier segment, uh, but to be the actual accountability partner, looking at those reports, having those weekly, sometimes daily, sometimes multiple times a day conversations, what's going on, not going to be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how would you recommend having those conversations? Like how frequently, and I know we discussed this a little bit earlier, but if your spouse is struggling with pornography, how frequently do you ask how they're doing since you're not the person who should be their accountability partner? So in the beginning, I think most wives probably want to do it too much. <laughs> like, Sometimes the couples I'm working with, it's multiple times a day she's texting him or calling him. That's not healthy. Uh, but that shows where she needs to heal, right? Because that is her wound. That's the hurt coming out. And so uh, I say in the beginning, once a week is fair. 
just to say, hey, how are you doing? How'd this week go? That's fair. And over time, as your spouse maintains a level of sobriety, um, that conversation spreads out just naturally. And so I have couples now, I was just, I had lunch with a couple not too long ago um, that, that we helped here at Integrity Restored. And he's been three years sober now. And quarterly, they go on a special date where they go up to the mountains in here in North Georgia and they go for a hike. And that's where they check in with each other. So it's no longer part of the daily routine, the weekly routine, the monthly routine. Now it's quarterly. Yeah. It's a great way. Something you can have fun, enjoy doing, but then also know, okay, this is the time we're going to have this conversation, which I think brings up a key area. Like people say, don't just randomly bring up tough conversations about money right before you're going to bed or when people are stressed or busy, but like let them know ahead of time, hey, on Saturday at this time, we're going to have a conversation about this. So you kind of have that preparation, that warning to enter into the conversation intentionally rather than kind of be startled by such a sensitive topic. Yeah. Two comments I want to make there. hundred percent, you're absolutely right. There needs to be some prep and we should go into those conversations in prayer, Hmm. right? Pray individually, but then pray together right before you have that conversation. Because as I said, when I'm working with couples, I say all the time, you must pray for supernatural patience with each other. This is going to be a difficult journey. I have to do a public apology. The last time we were on, I think I said I was married 35 years. Well, I did some math. I'll be married 37 years. Oh. (laughs) And... uh, this September, and I have made that mistake, Timory, of dropping one of those conversations right before we go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I've made that mistake. It's a terrible thing. Don't do it. Yeah. As to Jim O'Day, the executive director of Integrity Restored, helping to heal from the wounds of just the disordered sexual culture we live in today, overcoming addiction. Please check them out and other great resources we've included. Head over to integrityrestored.com. That's integrityrestored.com. And we've linked to all of those resources mentioned by Jim today here in the episode notes. So be sure to catch that at relevantradio.com forward slash trending, wherever you catch your podcasts, or it's also there on the new and improved Relevant Radio app that's free. I'll be right back here on Trending to share with you the news of parents who are appealing to the Supreme Court to hear the case regarding their child who was removed from their home because they refused to call their son by female pronouns. What's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Coming up next in just 15 minutes, here's a family rosary across America with Father Rocky, who will be joined by Bishop Frank DeWayne live from Ave Maria University at 7 p.m. Central. So be sure to stay tuned. If you want to get in, our toll-free line is 888 888- 914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order Foresters Life Insurance. 
Over the weekend, I read the news that the Supreme Court is being appealed by the parents of a boy who wants to be called a girl. And his parents, because they're Catholic, wouldn't refer to him with female pronouns. And not only would they not refer to him with female pronouns, but before all of this started, he was also struggling with an eating disorder. And so they were trying to help get him therapy and help for both the eating disorder and for then his struggle with his gender identity. Well, what happened was the state got involved and this Catholic couple in Indiana is now asking for the Supreme Court to hold the state accountable because the state took their child and removed the child from the home. Prayers from Mary and Jeremy Cox, the parents of this young boy. Um, again, all they did was say they wouldn't call their kid with female pronouns and they were seeking help for their kid. Uh, the Beckett Law Firm is helping to navigate this. They represent people who are fighting religious liberty cases. And some of the news has come out that back in 2021, the state of Indiana began investigating the Coxes, the parents, after a report came in that they were not referring to their child by his preferred gender identity. We should be balking at the fact that the state, any state government, would step in and investigate parents simply for the reason that parents would not call their child by the chosen pronoun they want. My child is an emotional terrorist. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and there are many things my children would not like that perhaps might make them quite happy if I allowed them to do. But do the same rules apply to a one-year-old, a three-year-old, as a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old? Just because they like it, just because it might feel good, does that mean we just let them do whatever they want? Let them be referred to by whatever they please? And this is absolute anarchy. This is unbelievable. The state government would go and investigate parents strictly for the purpose that it has been reported that they won't call their son a girl. It's not so simple to just swap out he for she. And so this case is one that I hope and pray the Supreme Court will address. I think this is a story of what many parents are increasingly becoming afraid of. And I'll raise my hand. I'm cautious. I'm very careful about the things I talk about in public when I'm with my children because all you need is one person to disagree with your parenting choices for your kids, with your medical choices for your kids, for your religious beliefs with your kids, your tone with your child. I, I joke, I'm not a huge fan of pets, so I'd add that to it if I frown at a pet in a restaurant in addition to maybe someone disagreeing with my beliefs about how I'm raising my kid. You've got to be careful today, and I don't say this uh, to be a fear monger, but when we see cases like this, I had a couple people write to me over the weekend. I said, is this true? Is this really happening, or is there more to the story? No, this is true, and this is happening on a regular basis. Normally, the story goes as such. A child is struggling, depression, anxiety, whatever is going on. Next thing you know, they're spending a lot of time on social media. They're starting to take on a transgender, some sort of LGBTQ identity. They are involved online. And what happens is the LGBTQ movement is online grooming and coaching children on how to put a divide between the parents. One parent 
ends up being a little more in favor of this trans LGBTQ identity. The other is absolutely against it, usually Catholic parent, Christian parent. What happens? Well, the two are divided. Next thing you know, this leads to not just separation in terms of their relationship with the child, but a separation between the spouses. It then turns into a custody battle. Do you know what's happening repeatedly over and over again in states across this country? The state is siding with whichever parent will acquiesce to the child and go with whatever the kid wants when it comes to their identity. And the parent who stands by the truth of the human person, that we are created male and female, and that you can't surgically remove or transform who you are, and that there is such a thing as truth and purpose to the human body, that parent is being denied access to their own child. They're considered fit not to parent. And so most of these cases are where the marriage is falling apart along with the parents losing their children. And often these stories aren't making it into the public eye because the parent, the Christian parent, who's still trying to fight to have some semblance of a relationship with their child, isn't wanting to expose further the story and is trying to give the best amount of love and attention to their child who they have very limited access to because the state has intervened. I think this is a worst case scenario that we need to be realistic and aware of. We need to be hopeful and optimistic, but we need to tell the truth. And the truth of the matter is, is that the United States is behind with the science when it comes to the reality of the human person and gender. And so this is why I'm glad to see that the Beckett Law Firm is actually fighting and the many other Supreme Court cases for this case. Now, here's what's interesting. The state of Indiana ended up what the Beckett Law Firm reports doing an about-face, and they abandoned actually their allegations against Mary and Jeremy, the parents of this young boy. They actually ended up admitting that the accusations of abuse that they were being accused of were unsubstantiated and that the parents were actually fit to parent and that there was no substantial evidence or reason to remove the kid from them. However, what ended up happening is that the Indiana then surprised the parents, the people fighting, and even though they admitted this was unsubstantiated, the accusations of abuse and that they were unfit to parent, the court doubled down and is continuing to keep the young boy from his parents. Even though the appeals court upheld the removal at the same time as the parents being deemed fit to parent and the accusations of abuse not being legitimate. Now, Lori Windham, she's a vice president and senior counsel at Beckett. She said in their representing the couple, even though the court determined the Coxes were fit parents, it upheld the removal of their child, which was later upheld by the appeals court. She says, tearing a child away from loving parents because of their religious beliefs, which are shared by millions of Americans, is an outrage to the law, parental rights, and basic human decency. If the Supreme Court doesn't take this case, how many times will we see this happen to other families? This is outstanding. That This is unheard of, we'd like to say. But even the attorney general there in Indiana, Todd Rakita, he ended up trying to like cover up and saying, you know, I'm all about parents' rights. And he says, as the record shows, the state agency acted not because of pronouns, but because of the child's extreme eating disorder. 
And he goes on to say how pro-parents' rights he is. Well, here's what happened. They removed the child from the Cox's home, away from the parents. Guess what happened when they put the child in a home where they're willing to call that child by female pronouns and whatever name that child chooses, where the kid is the ruler of how he wants to be parented by being a she? Well, guess what happened? The kid's eating disorder has only significantly worsened. And so as these parents not just fight, they're not just fighting for their child, they're fighting for other parents like you and like me to be able to uphold the truth of the human person and to live by our strongly held and scientifically factual faith views, religious views. And I think that's key. And just a couple thoughts here that I think are really important. Because it's important to recognize this is happening frequently. Often it's leading to divorce, a custody battle, and the child gets to go with the parent who is affirming their chosen gender identity. But we're also seeing many kids who are being emancipated. And you only have to be 14 years old to be emancipated. And this is frightening to see happening. The fact that this is not making the news more because these parents are trying to do everything they can to help their child rather than making a public display of it. So pray for parents who are trying to navigate this. Meanwhile, I find that we're tone deaf. I mean, you look at the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, and he's focusing right now on gender inclusivity. He's focusing on making sure we're not using the word spouses or partners or husband instead of husband and wife. He's making sure we don't use hateful terms such as son or daughter, but instead child. He's making sure that we don't use words such as ladies and gentlemen, but instead folks. And also wants to make sure we don't say brave men and women, but instead brave soldiers. This language war that's happening right now is tone deaf to the reality of parents who are navigating the insanity of the culture that says that boys aren't little boys and girls aren't little girls. And if you're a parent, you can't help your kid if they're struggling. Here are the facts. And the facts are in countless studies. I'll just cite a few coming out of Finland, since the U.S. can't seem to get up with just mainstream therapy internationally. Internationally, they've stopped approving the identity that goes against the biological reality in the therapy room with most therapists internationally. But here in the United States, we don't follow suit. A study in Finland found severe psychological proceedings that were there prior to the onset of gender dysphoria. So in other words, in this case, this child in this story had an eating disorder before the gender dysphoria was ever an issue. In other cases, it is very common for girls who are identifying as boys to actually be struggling with autism and that that was there prior to any sort of gender dysphoria and that the autism needed to be treated. In fact, in some of the research coming out of Finland, 75 of the applicants for sex reassignment surgery had been or were already undergoing child-adolescent psychiatric treatment for reasons other than gender dysphoria and that were being treated prior to the gender dysphoria's onset. Not only that, but evidence is pointing toward the fact that bullying prior to a child claiming that they struggled with their gender identity contributed to suicidality and to the child's incongruence when it came to their comfort in their biological reality. They showed in the study of kids who were transitioning that nearly six out of 10 kids had been significantly bullied in school. 
And out of those six of 10 kids, 92% of them had been bullied before they even questioned their identity. The research is out there, but Carrie Kolke in 2018, Caltiano Haino in 2015, and we could name the names. I'll throw some of the research into the episode show notes. But here's the reality what we know. Parents who affirm a child's chosen gender identity that is not in congruence with their biological reality helps nothing. Schoom and Crawford are two of the researchers who have shown, in fact, that there's heightened levels of not just depression, but also substantial differences when it came to an increase in anxiety and their understanding of their self-worth. There are researchers out there. They've been out there for years. They're telling the truth. They're studying this internationally. For us to just lean in and say, yeah, approve whatever your kid wants to identify as. Go with what the state is saying and allow children to be taken from the home. It's not the course of action. We've got to protect our kids. And this is why it's such an important topic that we're discussing frequently here on Trending. Strong parental involvement, being careful with screens, being aware of the value of the human body, affirming maleness and femaleness, and having sound resources to help navigate the challenges of identity that kids are going through, but with truth and reality at the core. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Thursday on Trending, you may have heard the news that three IVF clinics have stopped business. In other words, no longer aborting babies in the process of in vitro fertilization, which the Catholic Church opposes because of the harmful impact both on the woman and the baby, and in many cases, multiple women. How's your Lent going? Make your Lenten check-in on Trending. Join me daily, 6 p.m. Central, on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.